0: Today, I have the distinct pleasure of talking with Ryan Retker of the Literacy Lab about her journey to take the Literacy Lab to a true data-driven organization. And Ryan brings such a beautiful, nuanced, open approach to this journey and this development. I know that so many of you listening will really benefit from hearing the changes that she's making, the challenges she's struggling with, and the innovative solutions that she is applying to be able to bring an extraordinary nonprofit forward in how it uses data to truly achieve its mission. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, where we explore the human side of analytics to help amplify the impacts of those out to change the world. With me, Alexandra mannerines Thank you so much for joining me today, Ryan. I am Thanks thrilled for the- conversation that we're going to be able to have about developing real data power in your organization and that gaining of maturity within your organization. So can we start with introducing yourself, uh, how you came to data, a little bit about your organization, and if you don't mind sharing where in the world you're joining us from. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you again so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Ryan Rucker. I am currently based in Washington, D.C. Just moved down here a few months ago. Really excited to work for my organization, the Literacy Lab, and we do literacy tutoring for students in Pre-K through grade three, the spectrum is like in those grades you are learning to read and then once you get beyond that, you're reading to learn. So we're really helping to provide some of that support to fill those gaps during those grades for students in high needs areas across the country. And then a little bit about me and how I got to data and evaluation and the long story is that once upon a time, I was a chemistry major thinking I was going to go to pharmacy school. And. And then did a hard pivot into working in nonprofits in grad school. I worked for an Upward Bound program back in Oklahoma. And that was really my first foray into working with students in general, working with nonprofits, and then also learning about data. A small team of three in that role, you had to be able to do a little bit of everything. And so a lot of that for me was systematizing ways we're collecting materials from students. And that was just kind of getting my toes into the water of data and evaluation at the programmatic level. I've worked with organizations that serve all ages across K-12. So my middle school students, I had some high school students here and there. We did STEM, we did entrepreneurship in another program, and now literacy in this work. And I think I really enjoyed my direct service work, but I never saw myself doing that forever, nor did I ever think I was like going to be a teacher or anything like that. So I was like, I want to stay involved. I want to be able to still connect with this community and with these students, but just in a different way. And data and evaluation definitely helped me to do that. And it helped me to understand a little bit more about my students' stories. And I think that's how I sort of connected to data at first. Like, it wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing um, in any given role, but To me, it was always about being able to tell the experience of a student I was working with or a partner that I was working with to people who weren't there day to day to see the experience themselves. And so I've just been in that same sort of space for what feels like forever now, but I think about a decade at this point, moving through different organizations and now working as the National Director of Data and Evaluation at the Literacy Lab, really focusing in on building systems and structures and strategy that helps the organization be able to be data informed, not just in name, but also in practice and actually helping to make space for us to have those conversations about what we're collecting, why we're collecting it, what's the story we're trying to tell by collecting some of this data, and what's something we can improve, and what's the story we hope to be able to tell in the future about our work.
0: That definitely was one of the things that really drew me to you when we first connected was One, I always love the story of people finding their way to data, because I try to say this again and again and again, that you aren't born being a data person, and most of us don't necessarily even start out to be, you know, have a career in data. Right. And so just the more stories we can get of, I I love going from pharmacy to nonprofits to data, and that idea that data was a way of you connecting with your students. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people think that data separates right? It's like cold and impartial. And for it to draw you in, I mean, do you have a particular example about, you know, the story that you heard through data that connected you to a student?
1: Yeah, actually. So in one of my previous roles, we did college tours with our students out of state. And part of that process was students had to fill out an application and be able to communicate why they wanted to go on this college tour and why we should pick them out of everyone. We can't take every kid. <laughs> That's a part of the program, but why would should be able to take them? And I was working with one of My high school students, and he was struggling to get the application done. We were getting right up against that deadline. um, And I was really focusing on a lot of my other students. But our program director came in and sat down with him and went to talk to his teachers and sort of started to understand that he was really struggling with just the writing aspect of it. But we didn't have that information. And we just saw that he wasn't doing the application, even though he had communicated that he wanted to be there. And so by taking that information that we were able to gather from talking to him, talking to his teachers and really figuring it out, found an alternative strategy, got him connected to like the speech to text in Google Docs, where he could like, say what he wanted to say to answer the question. And he put together a beautiful essay. And he was able to go with us on the college tour. And that, it's just one of my favorite stories that I like to think back upon because we always get into this place where it's like you're trying to solve the issue. And so it always feels like I have to figure it out. And this is the one way to do it. But I think using data and using that information really illuminates the fact that there is no one right way to do anything when it comes to the work that we're doing. And there's a lot of nuance and a lot of flexibility that we can have. We just have to be willing to do a little extra digging into it.
0: I had a guest once explain that data were like a thermometer. They're a point that can tell you something's wrong, but they're not going to necessarily tell you like how to fix it. So when you exactly. go to the doctor's office, you need to know your temperature because if it's 105, your doctor's response is going to be different than if it's 98. Right. But it's not going to tell you why that temperature might be at that necessarily unless you start getting other data points. And so I love you know that you had this data point that stood out that called your attention to the student needing an intervention. And then you can take those next steps to say, where are we having our issues? What are the, the, the blockers to achieving that?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So tell me a little bit, I know you're new to Literacy Lab, but they have brought you in as part of a really cool transformation that this organization is going under. And I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about where Literacy Lab was coming from and where you're taking them with data. Gotcha. Well, let me first
1: say that I'm not speaking as a representative for the Literacy Lab in this space and I've only been in my role for about five months now. So I don't know too many details about the historical context of like how the organization operated before I got there and my team began to develop. But what I can say is that my team in its current soon-to-be three-person structure. We're hoping to get somebody on board in the next month or so. It's a brand new setup for the organization where our team can be solely focused on the data and the evaluated needs of the work that the organization is trying to do. And in that, we can focus in on how we're collecting the data, making sure that we can deliver on some of those requirements that are a part of every nonprofit experience um, to funders and grant grantors and all of those. But really, I love the ability to be able to support teams within the organization across the network to help them make data-informed decisions. And so some of the things that we're working on are identifying what we're calling data envoys, which are just representatives on different teams across the organization who are going to help us continue the data conversation so that it doesn't just live with my team and it doesn't just live in spaces that my team creates for folks, that it can happen at any time. You can have a data conversation without the data and evaluation team present. It absolutely can happen. Um, And I think Something that kind of sparked that for me was reading this article where it was like using data storytelling to disrupt white supremacy culture, which I can definitely share the link to that after this as well. But one of the characteristics of white supremacy culture, as defined by Tima Kuhn, was power hoarding or gatekeeping. And once I read that and learned a little bit more about it, I was like, wow, I'm really in previous roles. I'm holding on to this data. Like I'm the steward of the data and it all lives with me. And it It all comes to me and it has to go through me in order to get to everyone else. I was like, that's not the way that it should be. (laughs) That's not, I like, I shouldn't own it because it's not my experience. I'm the person on the other side of the computer, but I'm not the person who's doing the work and getting connected with the students and having the experience. So how can I sort of democratize that and make it available to everyone and make it accessible to everyone? So I think those are some really big things that we're trying to spread throughout the organization right now is to make sure that it doesn't just feel like it lives with the team and that everyone is a part of this process and a part of the conversation.
0: What a critical and brave conversation to be having and to recognize the idea that, yes, I mean, and I think even beyond just white supremacy, that idea of control and power Right. That if you are in power and you want to maintain power, the best way to do it is to keep the tools of power to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> and and so this idea of we can, like democracy is achieved when people are empowered to make decisions. Why, you know, freedom of speech is such an important thing, you know, a free press to democracy. And it's the same within the organization of how do you sort of open up those doors. And I love that idea of the data envoy. Of again, just having this conversation that you don't have to be a data techn, you know, data specialist to be able to access and have power, or you know, be able to connect with the data and use it. And the fact that you're building these bridges by explicitly identifying folks who can be this, or, and and carving out a role that you know people can put that hat on and take it, I think is so important. I'm curious because I know that on the flip side, the question that sort of pushes up is, well, you can break things in data. <laughs> right or you can misuse data if you don't understand how the data came from or if you're respo- you know if you put things in data tables that aren't supposed to be there so how are you balancing that idea of maintaining the integrity of right. the data systems you know you talked about your team building for the first time while still empowering the citizen users of data to really access it
1: absolutely yeah i think it definitely ties into how we're building out this data envoy role. It's not just, okay, you're the data envoy, go and do. Uh, <laughs> be free in data. <laughs> go, be free. Yeah, no, it's all about building a community. So I think even within that role, we're hopefully identifying like 10 to 12 people within the organization, I'd say, that we're hopefully going to bring together. Every other month or so to start to build some of that data literacy and fluency into their work and to give them some of those resources and tools so that when we do have our structured spaces, like with all staff, they can be in a breakout space and be like, oh, I know how to talk about this or I've seen this data set before. And so I know exactly where this information is coming from. So what we're trying to do is we'll be a team of three eventually, but this will now give us the scope of 15 to 20 people who can then go and have these conversations in different spaces and then bring back all of those learnings into the central conversation. So I think it's about not just identifying these individuals who can step into that role, but also figuring out a way to best support them and help them to develop those skills as well.
0: What an incredible way of amplifying the impact that data is going to have across your organization with this intentional development and support. And what a powerful resource for your organization, too, to have you investing in that. That's extraordinary.
1: I'm really excited about it. It's something that the organization definitely had in some way before. Um, We're trying to flip it a little bit on its head and be more intentional about the support that we're providing to these individuals and what we're asking of them to do in their roles.
0: I just finished interviewing someone last week about the idea of analytic maturity in organization or data maturity as sort of the growth that organizations go through along their data journey. And I think you highlighted two really critical steps in this growth. One is That um, that first step that you take from data being part of someone else's job, right? Not their full job, but as you were saying, that you just had to take it on in your first couple of roles because there was no one else to do it, and you learned by doing. But that first step that an organization takes to say, no, 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 we're going to have a group or a team or at least first person Mm -hmm. who is solely responsible for data, and we're going to invest in that. And then I like that second step that you said, that not only are we having people whose sole job it is to build our data structures and manage our data processes, but then we're going to have data as a service for the rest of the organization. Exactly. And it, it goes from this thing we have to do because a grantor asked us for it or whatever it is, is sort of you know on the edges of the rest of your roles to a core competency that helps drive your organization. And then you've taken that a step further from saying, not only are we going to have this core team but we're gonna invest in the rest of our organization so we can expand the impact that our small team's having because most of us, we're lucky if we have three people, right, that's just, we're not gonna have these huge data scientist teams, you know, like Silicon Valley companies are, but you're finding a way to make the most of that and really amplify the impact of your organization.
1: Yeah. And I think that one of the things that sort of inspires me to continue doing that work is it really like fires me up when I hear people say, I'm not a data person, or I'm not a math person. And it takes me all always back to a Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset, um, right, where it's, I can learn anything if I really try and like I keep pushing myself forward and I'm a work in progress. So part of this is really hoping to expose people to what it actually means to be a data person and open that door just a little bit more so they can see like, it's not so scary over here. It's really just us identifying and highlighting information that we're seeing and figuring out what is it telling us? If it's good, great, let's celebrate it. And if it's not so great, what can we do to change our direction here and really move in the direction we want to be going with the work that we're doing?
0: I think especially because your organization drives literacy, that Nobody says, oh, I'm not a reading person, so I don't read. Exactly. (laughs) It's like we've forgotten that we had to spend years. I mean, so my son's five and he's learning to read right now. And he had to learn how to, what is a, a letter? How do I identify which letters are which? How do I understand the sounds that letters can make? Then how do I understand sounds that letters make put together, right? And then how do I contextualize that information on a paper when there's lots of letters together that make these words? And we all went through that process to learn how to read. And so if we can learn to read, we absolutely can learn how to do data. Exactly. (laughs) So, I love that, and I couldn't agree more. Do you have some strategies or approaches that you've found have helped kind of break down some of that resistance as you've met with people or ways that you find to make data more approachable to people who start out the I'm not a data person?
1: Yeah, I think I always want to unpack that a little more, and there's not always time to be able to do that when someone just like throws out on like, I'm not a data person. Yeah. So here you go. But for me, this work, beyond like the numbers and like the analysis and all of this stuff it's really about kind of making connections because there's always the quantitative information but again I am one person on a laptop and there are other people out there who are actually experiencing it Mm -hmm. so at the very first step I think it's really making those connections with folks who feel that there aren't data people and figuring out first of all how does data play into your role already in ways that you might not even think about it that way, right? Something I used to do when I was facilitating like just like intro data spaces was talk to people about how they use data in their everyday lives, like outside of work, like you're using data when you're looking at your speedometer, when you're driving your car, if you're stepping on a scale, like you're using this information to inform how you will be moving forward. And so I think Having that conversation with folks, again, just sort of cracks that door a little open, a little bit more. And what I like have been calling since my very first role, like the data party, it's like, it's just a space for us to be able to have a conversation about what we're doing and in an informative way. Um, And I think another piece is that I know that data can feel overwhelming to folks, because there's often a lot of it. And it feels like there's so much of it and all of the decisions that we have to make at any given point of time are really high stake and it's everything feels very urgent. And I feel like that's like the nature of nonprofit decision-making is like everything has to happen right now. And I am very fortunate to be in a space where I can say, okay, yes, everything does feel urgent and everything feels like it has to happen right now. But also I know that it doesn't. And I can take this one piece And focus really intensely on this one process and this one system and engage stakeholders and engage folks who feel like they aren't involved in data at all to contribute to this process, to give their feedback, to be involved. So hopefully they're in there from the foundational level and we can just continue to build
0: together. It makes me think about the studies that show, you know, high stakes testing can make students struggle to learn material and be able to access material. And I realize that that's exactly what you're describing, is that we feel like we're in this high stakes environment all the time, which then can make it hard to engage in a space that you might not immediately feel comfortable in. Exactly. even by just stepping back and saying it feels like everything's on fire everything is not on fire and we can take 10 seconds to take a deep breath and engage in something that is going to take a little bit of adjustment and adaptation to but it, you're going to make it i promise
1: right. <laughs> the house will not burn down yet <laughs> exactly and then while you're like identifying like say you're discussing i don't know retention in some capacity like there are so many data points related to that. Let's just focus on one. Let's focus on this one and figure out everything that it's telling us. Let's dig a little deeper. What do we notice here? What looks different here? And then once we feel confident there, we can move on to the next thing. But I think, again, it's really that high stakes thing, right? It's just every time something happens within the nonprofit sector, it's like, okay, we got to move. We got to go. We got to do. And I am very familiar with that from working so long in the direct service vein. Like that was just my life for like five or six years. Um, So I understand how intense that feeling can get. And I want to help support people to kind of be like, it's okay to take that step back. It's okay to take that breath, like you were saying, and let's just focus in on this one thing and what we can control in this moment and have this conversation.
0: When you're very, your organization's very lucky to have you, that you have that crossover experience, that you spent time on the front lines, that you've spent time doing the work. So you understand that modality and those experiences, but then you can bring data into what actually is going on and then say, here's how we can bring data so that it works the best Mm -hmm. for people actually doing the direct service. So I wanted to ask a little bit more about how you're building this team, because I think Mm -hmm. that this is a, a big challenge for organizations who might be on the verge or contemplating the step that Literacy Lab has taken. But it can feel just as overwhelming to try to figure out the people that you need in your data space, let alone the data and the systems that you need. So do you mind talking a little bit about how you've designed your team, how you found people or, or thought about the people who should be on that team and how you've designed the roles for that team as well?
1: Right. So the hiring timeline was a little bit out of order in that my data manager was actually hired a month before I was. But I think the way that our team is being built out right now is that we recognize there are different skill sets that folks can have to be able to have a robust data and evaluation perspective and conversation within an organization. You want folks to have those super technical skills and be able to analyze large data sets and create visualizations that people are going to respond to and understand. You you need those skills as well. But those aren't the only skills that an individual needs to have. And those are skills that can be developed over time. I did not come from an official, like, formal training background by any means when it comes to that. But I found myself in roles where I had to build reports, and I had to create visualizations for various things. And I had to eventually learn how to do things in Power BI, like all of those things happened over time. And so I think it's really evaluating what are the skills that you need right now in your role what can be developed sort of over time and where can you provide that space? And honestly, in most cases, a little bit of funding, a little bit of the budget to that professional development for an individual and what sort of support are you providing them? And I think another big piece, if someone can't invest in a multi-person team, how are you ensuring that they are connected to a community of folks? So I know I've done various webinars and other just like working groups with the Urban Institute with the We All Count organization as well. And just like being able to go and learn from individuals who are a little bit further advanced in the work that I'm trying to do within my own organization, um, really hear from them, ask them questions. And I think that helps to, again, build out some of those skills. And I think one thing that I see, I value within the literacy lab and with like previous supervisors that I've had is that I feel valued as a person. And not just as someone who is here to do a job for the organization and not just as the data person. Like I am a human first and I can be a part, I can bring myself to that and still do my job well. And I think having someone who really values that in the team that they're creating is also really important.
0: I do think that, again, for people newer to the data space, sometimes it can feel sometimes like, You're a human computer, right? You're just here to do numbers. You're not really, you know, a full-fledged, like, emotional human. And I know people sometimes will look at me, like, quite surprised when they've seen my title or my work before they've met me. And then they're like, oh, well, you you sound so human. I am a human. We're all humans. We're not robots. Just like crunching numbers. And I agree with you. Like the more that you can bring yourself and who you are and your experiences and our perspectives, the richer and better your data systems are going to be, the better they'll be able to serve that organization. And I loved what you said about connecting into the broader community. I mean, one, I love we all count. Heather Cross is like the most amazing human and her work is just extraordinary. But also that idea that heard from people who are the first data person in their organization, Mm -hmm. the first evaluator, that that's a very lonely role that you can kind of get thrown in there. And one, you're carrying that whole burden, but also you may not at the beginning have other people in the organization who are prepared to have those conversations or connect with you or help you think through something that's tough. So thinking about how do you ex- connect your data people into a community outside your organization is a really critical way, one to invest in them, show them that they matter, but two to help your own organization advance. Even if you've only got one person to start with who's in that role. Exactly. In my,
1: Last role before this one, I was a part of a team of two, but there were other regions that just had one person dedicated to it. But we had a very strong, what we called our community of practice, where we were very connected to each other, questions could go in and out. So I think that community aspect, both in trying to bring people into the data conversation within an organization, but just to connect to other people who are also thinking this way, who can help you brainstorm, who can help you like problem solve and troubleshoot and be like, I am really stuck on this one thing, like who can I reach out to? Like having those connections are so, so valuable in building just a network of humans that can help you in this Field.
0: I think also your point about getting clear of what skills do you need immediately and mm-hmm. what skills can you grow and that those skills are not just all technical. right? Like, that There are skills that are human skills and communication skills and negotiation skills and all of this that goes into the fact because hum- data is a human endeavor and there are technical skills you do need to be able to manage it, but there's a whole lot of human-based skills and emotional skills that also need to be part of that And I think that also can be overwhelming for nonprofits. One, because if you try to get someone who has every single technical skill you might need, you're not affording them as a nonprofit. Like, really, let's be honest. You can't. (laughs) Not even a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be so far off that. And so the idea of just saying, what are the things that we need now And then what can we sort of invest long term to grow the technical skills down the road, I think is that's so such a wise way of approaching it. And I think a very effective one for nonprofits that they definitely can learn from because I think we're all kind of struggling with that. The people side of things is hard for hiring for nonprofits in this space.
1: It definitely is. But if you want to be able to again, develop those connections and have it not just live with one person all the time, which can really lead to problems, right? Like if that person leaves, and they're the only one who knows your data systems, what do you do? You just start from scratch, which is a place that a lot of nonprofits find themselves in. So being able to develop that with someone, I think is really important for organizations to focus on.
0: And as we said, you know, the fact that nonprofits can't afford to pay for a lot of these technical skills, like you are likely to see more turnover in that technical space than maybe in right. some of those other spaces, because your team members are going to grow up and then, you know, potentially find other places that, that pay them more or offer them more. But I think what you talked about of investing in people as people, um, and giving them really meaningful work, and helping them grow within the organization also helps retain them. So right. not only is it a smart move from an organizational development point of view, but it also builds those connections and that loyalty to your organization where people do feel satisfied in a way they may not if they go into the sort of more soulless corporate America. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like you've shared so many extraordinary pearls of wisdom about growing organizations, analytical capacities in such a human way. And I love that idea of democratizing data as a way of disrupting entrenched power systems. And I couldn't agree more with that. Do you have a final... Action or recommendation for folks who might be listening who are either preparing to take this step or have thought about it but aren't sure what to do next? Like, What would be the one thing that you would recommend organizations look at or an individual look at to take that first step forward in developing their organization's analytics?
1: That is a good question because it feels like there are all the steps to
0: take. (laughs) Right? Every time that I've asked the like one step, people are like, could I do two or maybe (laughs) three? And I'm
1: fine with that too. Okay. I'm definitely going to do two. One would be to find your community related to data, to evaluation, to whatever it is in this field that you really want to learn and develop on. I mean, there are courses on Udemy, there are organizations like We All Count and the Urban Institute who are putting on these workshops to help you develop those skills. And I think without those connections, it again can feel like a very lonely experience. And that I think prevents Any person from really being able to grow and develop and then like expand. I think the second thing I would say is to find the one thing that you feel like you can tackle right now that feels like I can have a good amount of impact on this, identify it right in this moment and what can you do to kind of break that down understand the why if it's a data system or a data process why are we doing it this way who's using the information who has access to it who needs access to it and how can we further make it useful to the work that we're doing in this organization it doesn't have to be every system and every process if it can just be one that you can identify that there are some questions around I think that really helps to as a launch pad into more of the work over time
0: I really like that idea of start with one because you'll walk through all the steps that you'll need when you're taking on all of it at the same mm-hmm. time. But you'll do it in a defined place where you can ask the question and have like one answer. Right? What is Why do we do this thing? We can answer why we do this one thing. Maybe I can't exactly. answer how we do everything with data across our whole organization, but I can tackle this one thing and I'll walk through each of the steps practice each of the things that I need along that. And if you've connected into your community, you'll have support along that journey. And then you can do it again, a little bit bigger, and then again, a little bit bigger and move on from there.
1: Yep. It just grows over time and it allows you to develop your skills, but to also help you to develop your community of practice.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your deep wisdom and experience and insight and helping us break down these barriers to data and making data more approachable so that we all can realize we're all data people.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much again for having me and for building this community and the podcast world.
0: I hope you enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. And I have to tell you, I will be using data envoys in so many places now as indefinitely as one of my first recommendations towards developing that truly democratized data access. I just love the investment that Ryan and the Literacy Lab are making in developing not just their own team, but the entire organization's capacity. And that really is made possible by Ryan's focus on the idea that the mindset we should have around data is I can learn anything given time and support. Rather than the more common, sometimes I think, approach of I'm not a numbers person. And I'm putting that in air quotes because I really do believe that any of us can find our way to data. And so many of the guests on this show have, as one of them said, accidentaled their way into data. They come from very diverse backgrounds, different academic disciplines, different skill sets. And we bring such a wonderful strength in that diversity of backgrounds and approaches to data. So as a reminder, the the actions that Ryan recommended, find your community. will include links to the We All Count community, which I am part of and I love. And then that idea of finding the one big issue that you could tackle. Not all the big issues, but that one issue that's big enough, it will really move the needle for your organization. But it's defined and limited in its scope enough that you can really tackle it right now. And with Beau Ruin, we talked about that agile approach of really having a good scope on the projects that you're taking. And even with Kyle Kerrigan about that idea of innovation, that really when you focus on a particular outcome, you're going to be more successful. So Ryan's idea of just finding that issue where you can get going, I think, will help break down the resistance and help you move past some of that overwhelm because you can do that. You can do that one project, and when you get success there. You can build on it in other places. And I believe in you. So breathe deep, seek truth, and good luck on your analytic journey. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at M e r a k i n o s. M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.